0: Hello everybody and welcome to WrestleNomics Radio I'm your co-host Chris from Okigana Harrington It is Saturday, November 17th, 2018 And we bring to you WrestleNomics number 75.2 With your co-host, Mr. Brandon P. Thurston The P stands for Pretty Good Brandon, how are you feeling today? I'm doing pretty good How are you, Chris? Uh, I am covered in welts Welts? I am an unhappy man Uh, I went uh, splatballing splat ball yes like uh like paintball but i was told it it, it would hurt less that it would be low in cat impact low velocity wow. fire and i was lied to they said eight-year-olds play this and all i can say is that those are some sadistic eight-year-olds uh that are out there playing this so we, we had a work event we, we thought a team building would be fun to do some four-on-four splat ball wow and um my, my stomach—if I were to lift up my shirt here on the premium feed—you would see just these welt marks all across my rib cage, my stomach, my back. My there's actually one on my neck. Really? Um, I was hit in the head a few times, but luckily I was wearing a helmet for that. Do you have CTE? <laughs> no, I don't think I. I think I have um, uh, uh, trauma, like uh, you know, maybe maybe a nightmare that's going to come from this. But uh... did they educate you on CTE before you participated in the slapball? Uh, no, but they did, they weren't good about, like, having us take breaks between the games. They did not educate you. Okay, I, I have a lawyer for you to call. Yeah. uh Kay Kairos, you
1: can get in touch with him. I think he has a class action lawsuit that you might be able to be a part of.
0: There's was a lot of physicality, it was a lot of moving around, so my legs really hurt now, too. Because really? I usually, if I don't do anything for a couple days, then it hits me the next day and a half later, so my legs are pretty sore. Yeah. So it's been a been a trip brandon i'm not feeling pretty good i'm i'm feeling i'm feeling like it's time to talk about wrestle numbers how about you no wrestling this weekend no wrestling this weekend uh were you the emergency fill-in if david arquette did not show up to nick to the nick gage match
1: no i was not i I saw something uh on twitter that he bled quite a bit
0: uh the other night not just bled quite a bit like he's grabbed his neck and kind of no sold the finish and sprinted out of there and uh came back later to curse out Nick Gage and kind of they inferred that like maybe he had got his neck cut in a way that he was not comfortable. Oh really? Wow. Oh yes. It it, it it's one of those crazy things where I mean, I'll ask you as a pro wrestler, <laughs> would you wrestle Nick Gage?
1: Depends on the match. I don't I don't want to have a, a death match, but I You would not do a death match. With I would Nick not Gage. do it. I would not do a death match in, in al- almost any case I mean for the the of money especially that people are probably doing death matches for no but I don't know I've seen Nick Cage wrestle, gauge he seems like a, a competent wrestler at to say the least um do you ever Arca- done thumbtack matches though I have done a match that had thumbtacks involved uh, I was not the one who ended up falling on the thumbtacks by the way but I I, I was <laughs> I was willing to you know, you know let let things uh, happen as, as, the, as they might though but uh,
0: but you uh, would, would would you do light light tubes? Probably not, I mean,
1: not like what about led light tubes, LED light tubes, like a, just
0: a set of Christmas lights no, I don't think that would even get over. I think it would get over a lot i think I think the patron saint should should argue that instead of light bulbs, people should be more energy efficient and you should bring out some Christmas tree lights and explain to them how you're saving the environment, and all these all awful people are releasing all these gases into the environment that's true,
1: but no i've I've never done uh I've never done anything super hardcore. I mean, that that th- th- thumbtack bump that I took like over a year, like, about one year ago now. I didn't take it. Somebody else took it. Mikey Evernight took it, but um, I got kind of scraped, but I didn't get anything bad at all.
0: You know what Steve Carino used to tell us? Mm. Chairs are for sitting, not for hitting. Is that what he used to say? Pretty sure that was part of his ECW old school gimmick. I see. Uh, Sweet Lou, Sweet Lou adopted it as a mantra of his years later.
1: Yeah, but, but D- um, David Arquette was supposed to appear for Empire State Wrestling, and he had to cancel. I think he had to cancel on quite a few others because of a movie pro- movie project that he had coming up.
0: Okay, so I wanted a clarification on this. That's why why I brought up David Arquette to you in the first place. He was not supposed to appear for ESW last night. No, ESW did not. Run- ESW is running a show next Saturday, the 24th. Got it. And he was but originally advertised for that, but he's canceled. Wow. And uh I- I'm just thinking i'm guessing he was because it was part of this joey janela um game changer wrestling la confidential type. la confidential marco stunt sounds like he broke his leg which is probably going to impair his ability to possibly do the match oh, no. with brian alvarez i didn't hear that
1: that happened yeah. wow
0: yeah so but you know these these are the kind of you know weird bookings he, in the past they brought in great susuke and other people great. for these kind of shows otherwise known as great sasuke but yes sasuke yes and uh but just the fact that he spends a lot of money sometimes to get kind of unusual names and puts them in, in unusual matches. And so I would guess for David Arquette money, Brandon Howard Thurston might do a death match. I don't know how much money David Arquette money is. Well, maybe you can go to your SWA uh, uh, vault of Google Docs and hack in there and find that out for us and release it on WrestleNomicsLeaks.org.
1: Yeah, that's in the, the, the record-keeping section of the
0: ESW library. I haven't yeah. uh,
1: I haven't done much looking in there, but uh, I hope to one day.
0: Yeah, yeah. We'll have to get the archivist to give you the key to unlock the mm-hmm. vault doors and all that. But
1: next week, I'm wrestling for ESW in the Ilio DePaulo Memorial Cup match. Do you know who Ilio DePaulo is? Yeah, he
0: was a, a – uh, wasn't he a, a famous uh, amateur wrestler from that area, but then later was a professional wrestler promoter? Was he an amateur wrestler? wrestler? He's Wasn't a, he also a very successful amateur wrestler? I don't know, but he was
1: a pro wrestler. He was a, he, he's a big pro wrestler from the Buffalo area, or at least he lived a, for a long time in the Buffalo area, especially the, the latter part of his life. He was a, and
0: He was famous for the restaurant,
1: right? Especially famous th- for the restaurant. I think he did a lot of uh, charity work as well. Yeah. I think he was hit by a car in the mid nineties and, and, and died sometime after that. And then WCW started to do the Iliad Apollo uh, tribute shows. And did you know for a time, the most attended WCW event in history was in Buffalo, New York for an Iliad Apollo show. Really? It broke the, the previous record held by, by, great American bash, 1989 in Baltimore. But then they did the, and they were just house shows These, he's, you know, the first house shows that WCW probably had ever done in Buffalo or probably since, since, you know, early in, in the, uh, the ownership change.
0: And, yep, uh, the DiPaolo family has been inducted into the New York chapter of the National Wrestling Hall of Fame for the creation of the Ilio DiPaolo Scholarship Fund and the continual contribution to high school wrestling. I, I remember that Apollo stuff from from Rochester because, like, there, there's like high school amateur wrestling tournaments that are somehow associated with that as well. Oh, okay
1: we are going to talk about at some point wrestlemania
0: attendance or, we sure are and we're going to talk Q- also about some nxt conference call with uh triple h we're gonna do lots of numbers we're gonna do everything that we always do which is here on the free show we make sure we cover the business of professional wrestling and we go in depth even more on the premium show go to wrestlemonics.com, click on the patreon link and you'll see at patreon.com slash russellnomics where you can get the extra show that we do every week. But this week, we're going to start it off with MetLife Stadium capacity information. Um, once again, WWE can say whatever the hell it wants about how many people were there. You know, a billion people. Uh, but there is probably a physical limitation of how many people can fit into the arena for WrestleMania 35 this year. And so what in the state of New Jersey smells good and smells bad in your mind? What do you think we can actually sell in this stadium?
1: Uh, I think, I think
0: we have an exclusive insight here
1: that the sellable capacity is going to be about 82,500 at MetLife Stadium with, uh, they're going to put floor seats on the floor of about 4,500 extra risers of 5,500. They're going to take out about 10,000 seats for production as my mic falls. And, uh, so this total sellable capacity we believe is 82,000. Five hundred, Of course, tickets for WrestleMania 35 at MetLife Stadium went on sale on November 15th, which was what day of the week this week? It was Thursday. And uh, if you look at Ticketmaster, which is where you can go online to, to buy tickets or, or could, or well, you still can, there's 305 tickets left on Ticketmaster. So this event is almost completely sold out. Um, there's also a ton of seats left on secondary sellers like StubHub, SeatGeek, Vivid Seats, and so forth. So, how many seats is that? How many seats are they, have they actually sold or what is the actual paid attendance going to be? To get an idea of that, we can look back on WrestleMania 29, I believe 2013. That's with Rock Cena 2, right? Because the first one was in Miami, right? So, Rock Cena 2 at MetLife. And based on KPIs, key performance indicator attendance numbers that we have, it looks like the, the paid attendance was somewhere around, this is an estimated number, somewhere around 69,000. So, 305,000. Tickets left, you could think there's probably you know high sixty high sixty thousands in terms of the number of seats that they they've sold within I don't even know a, a couple days.
0: So you're saying that they could possibly put almost thirteen thousand more seats in the arena this year, though. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying well, you, last year if it was sixty nine thousand paid t- attendance, two thousand thirteen. 2013 was 69,000. And this year we're saying they could possibly sell 82,000. That's yeah. about 13,000 more seats. But maybe a lot of those seats are comps. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. I, I want to be surprised if they did decide to, you know, really squeeze more seats in. I, I feel like, you know, the last five, six years here have been just this continuous quest to make the WrestleMania gate bigger and bigger. And make the dollar prices that they charge for the tickets higher and higher. I mean, you said in WrestleMania 29, you mentioned projected gate, probably 17, 17, 2 million, something like that. And so, um, that's, that's pretty high. Uh, we know that WrestleMania 32, they quote, have the all time record at 17, 3. When you really put it in perspective and say, what's the value of something like the Saudi Arabia greatest Royal Rumble show dwarfs that number, doesn't it? Excuse me. Yes. Uh, uh,
1: so we think Greatest Royal Rumble provided about $45 million. That's based on the other segment in Q2. So about $45 million just for the Greatest Royal Rumble. Maybe the Greatest Royal Rumble included some sort of signing bonus from Saudi Arabia because that's the beginning of that 10-year deal with Saudi Arabia. So maybe they're only going to get 10 $15, 20000000 million for Crown Jewel. Who knows? We'll find out some details, some clues about that when the full year
0: report comes out, probably in February. Yeah, I was gonna say be beginning of February is usually when we get the Q4 numbers. But um pretty pretty amazing just when you kind of put in perspective that a WrestleMania is 17 ish million, and we're talking about shows that are easily doing more than that um on the fly. You know, just and it gives you an idea of why Russell why WWE is so reluctant, even in the wake of the news this week, the wake of the news yesterday, that the CIA has decided their analysis suggests. That in fact, Mohammed bin Salman himself would have been the only person who would have been high enough up ranked to basically make the call for them to put in action such an elaborate plan. And it's very clear that there was an elaborate plan that led up to the moment when uh, Jamal Khashoggi was killed, in which there was other efforts to try to kind of lure dissidents into the country and do other things of that nature. And, uh, specifically then having all this kind of quote unquote kill team ready to fly out, literally execute their plan and, um, leave the country immediately afterwards in Turkey and, uh, uh, for it not to be some, the idea that some kind of rogue actor that did this seems rogue very uncredible uncredi- to the uh, CIA's analysis. Today. Rogue
1: killers did this maybe.
0: Perhaps, perhaps. So, um,
1: but, so but, that's but I think, I think it's a good way to put it, to think about it, like for people to easily understand this is that Greatest Royal Rumble at $45 million, that's three WrestleManias in terms of ticket sales, not in terms of network and pay-per-view and all that, but in terms of just a gross t- ticket revenue, three WrestleManias. That's why yeah. it's such a big deal, to put it in some perspective about why they were so, so, like you said, reluctant to cancel the show or move the show and, or back
0: down in any way. Yeah. Especially because you're, you'd be not just sacrificing the money in Q4 this year. You're really talking about sacrificing the number for the next nine years of this deal, yes. which
1: is not a, a moral justification, by the way, but that's to get some insight into the mind of
0: Vince McMahon or whoever those people were that were contributing to that decision, making the difficult decision. As difficult. Stephanie told us last week, yes, it's a difficult decision. So you talked about ticket prices. Um, we, we know from the MetLife Stadium website, it says tickets range from $35 to a thousand dollars. You can get packages that go above $1,000 if you want to get the chair, if you want to sit ringside, if you want to get the travel package, all that other stuff. There's a ticket on but, Ticketmaster for
1: $7,000 on the floor still.
0: Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. It mentions the gold circle packages include seatings in the first nine rows ringside, access to the gold circle VIP stadium entrance, and a commemorative WrestleMania take-home folding chair. Hmm. That's a bigger gross than probably most individuals I work with. <laughs> Is someone selling one of those tickets? Uh, no, no. I mean, just $7,000. Probably not quite, but yeah. In the ring. But um, well, I'm saying that's by, by lack of vision on your team. You should be selling $2,000, um, premium seats inside the ring every show. And all you have to do is sell one of them.
1: Oh, there, there have been conversations about ticket prices. Don't get me started.
0: <laughs> so what do we think if, if the tickets range from $35 to $1,000? Um, what's left on Ticketmaster? The cheapest ticket is what? $300? 300
1: something for, there's a few tickets way up in the, in the highest deck for 300 something, but those are probably what, those are probably either VIP tickets somehow, or they're just really close
0: rows. I think they're called platinum seats. And I know w- at least the one of the, the ones I saw was the row one. And if you go to say Vivid seats, they have tickets there for 80 bucks, 90 bucks, which implies the original market value of those seats must have been in the 30 to $50 dollar range. Yes. He talks so, off the ledge in our, in our, uh, pre-show meeting about
1: like, I was like, because the cheapest ticket still available. And it shows like this range it's you know, when you log into Ticketmaster you click on the WrestleMania, and, like it says 300 to 3000 or something like that. And I'm like, it was the
0: lowest ticket that they were selling $300. This is going to be a huge money show. It would be a big money show and it will yes. be a big money show. You be. did some interesting math here. Interesting math um, and, always. and if you are a subscriber, This is a great example of the spreadsheets that you can get access to that will help you you out trying to understand things. You can see these numbers rather than just listen to us say them. Well, and you can also then go and check them yourself. You can compare them against what you're finding. You can add more information. You can check them in it's called ranges for paid WrestleMania attendance based on round numbers and KPIs. One of my spreadsheet. spreadsheets, yes. But what have you done here? Explain to me how you have a dollar value against every WrestleMania from two thousand eight to twenty eighteen.
1: Do you want me to look at the spreadsheet or, or or just the list of average ticket prices? What are you asking?
0: Yeah, where did these average ticket prices come for for the last 11 years of WrestleMania? I, I made this spreadsheet like two years ago. You expect me to remember that? But basically well, we, well, explain to me the math. How's the calculate Because they don't tell you what the average ticket price was on WrestleMania every year, do they? They, they do not. So okay. what what we have is we have
1: gate numbers, which are, if you don't know what a gate is, it's just the the amount of money that you've made from the ticket sales. Sometimes they just call that the gross. Mm-hmm. But so we, what we have are gate numbers, which are reported by W themselves in press releases. Usually W puts out a press release shortly after Mania the next day or so. And they say, this is what we drew. They, they, they published the attendance number that they announced on TV, which is always, you know, exaggerated and debated over and controversial or whatever. But they also put a gate number in there. And we do believe that to not be exaggerated and to reflect. I know Dave Meltzer says it includes fees. So maybe it includes ticket fees, but it, but that is a real number. in all likelihood, because if, if it was not, they would be in some trouble with the SEC if they were reporting false or exaggerated financial numbers. And they do repeat these gates in their, uh, press releases when they do their, their, uh, their press releases for investors and quarterly reports and whatnot. When you say repeat, you mean use the same numbers from, from filing to filing. Exactly. So, yeah. So again, so we have gates and then we were able to determine a range of what the, the WrestleMania attendance paid number is because w because WF, not WCW, WF always gives us in the KPIs, here's the average attendance for the quarter with WrestleMania and without WrestleMania. And because we have those two numbers, we're able to do some math and factor in the number of events within the quarter, and we get this range within a few thousand of what the WrestleMania paid attendance was. So the number of tickets that were actually sold for WrestleMania, not just comped. So I have that for going for every WrestleMania, uh, from 2008 to the present in this spreadsheet that's linked in the doc. And so, so, so from so- that,
0: we can say in 2018 WrestleMania 34 in New Orleans, where I was, where you were Yes. WrestleMania, they WWE announced 78,133 people on a gate of $14.1 million. Yes. However, we also know that when they gave us the actual range of what it was with and without uh, um Mania, it was 5,000 without Mania, 5,900 with Mania, 61 events total, including Mania. So that meant that one extra event going from 60 to 61 had 900 average impact. And so you do the math backwards and you basically say, oh, wow, that suggests about 60,000 people were going to WrestleMania. And that would explain why this range here is so big. Mm-hmm. Um And we can actually even narrow that range a little bit because it's clear that the difference between your two numbers always has to be 900 rounded. But so we get to go a little bit up and a little bit down and we get there and we could say, Oh, maybe it's as low as 54,000. Maybe it's as high as 66,000, but it sure as hell is not 78,000 people who paid to go see the show. So you then took that gate of $14.1 million. You divided it by about 60,000 people and then you came out with the answer, ah, average ticket price, $235 versus if we had used WrestleMania's number, uh, WWE's number, we would have said one, 14.1 million over 78,000 people. That's 180 bucks. So it's about a $50 difference depending on whether or not you include WWE's worked number or whether you include WWE's quote unquote true number, which, hey, lo and behold, when we go to things like a, um, Polestar which is a independent company that keeps track of, of uh, arena gates and live capacities. WWE's numbers are a hell of a lot closer to the Polestar numbers than they are to their made up numbers. Suggesting again, that one of them is true. And one of them is as Vince says for entertainment, purposes. Yes. It inc- includes ushers and ticket takers and things of that nature. Hot dog vendors.
1: Um, Polestar doesn't have any WrestleMania data. We didn't find any in it. Did we, uh, we found one or two events. Did we, Okay. Yeah, we did. So, so that's how we get the obviously we do the math, divide the the gate by the average attendance, and we're just going to take the median of the range. So, like you said for last year's or this year's WrestleMania, it's about sixty thousand. Or the the actual meeting we have is fifty nine thousand nine hundred, and that gives us an average ticket price of two hundred thirty five dollars. Which
0: so let's let's go to two thousand eight. You'll all yeah. Uh, I'll say the year. You say the price, and I'll say the city. Okay. okay? I'm going to say the price. Two thousand eight. $93. Orlando, 2009. $124. Houston, 2010. $86. Glendale, 2011. One, $100. Georgia Dome,
1: 2012. $133. Miami, 2013. 2013
0: $164 at MetLife Stadium. MetLife Stadium oh, in New sorry. Jersey. 2014,
1: 2014, 165 dollars.
0: The Superdome in the New Orleans. Mm-hmm. 2015, 2015,
1: 100, or 218 dollars.
0: Levi Stadium at Santa Clara. 2016, 217 dollars. Down slightly. AT&T in Arlington. Yeah. 2017, 223 dollars. Orlando Camping World. 2018 two hundred and thirty five dollars the Superdome at New Orleans so we've seen it go from under a hundred dollars on average to a hundred ish dollars to the last four years here have averaged well over two hundred dollars a ticket big big jump between
1: 2014 and 2015
0: and I think that's it's um consistent with when WWE was raising their overall prices um, on their house show tickets, and so if we were to go look at that spreadsheet that uh, Smart branded did on the WrestleMania's Reddit thread, you would see that it was around 2015 when WWE kind of kicked into high gear. This whole idea of let's raise ticket prices, we can get higher ticket prices from our hardcore fans.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I I think it's very much in line with that, where it, it's kind of shocking to me to think that when I went to the Georgia Dome in 2011, the average ticket price was a hundred bucks, and when I went to the Superdome. In 2018, it was two and a half times that, and the the one in between the two, Santa Clara, which I also went to, also was kind of that midpoint of those two two events. There it was about twice the cost of the Georgia Dome show, so it's possible that Chris Harrington himself is just driving these ticket prices up. You're up, contributing. Up. You're contributing to this issue. I, a, it is my my fault completely. You're, you're contributing um, to the demand. So, what do you think this? So knowing that last time they went to MetLife, the average ticket price was $164. We're going to have no memory. We better write in this document what your prediction here is because we're not going to get there anytime soon. Um, what do you think, you know, might be the average ticket price this year if it was $235 last year?
1: Well, you said $250 off air and that sounds pretty good to me. I don't know. Uh, we, we only have a range of, of what do they say in the press re- release, $35 to $100. You know what? I did I did an article leading up to WrestleMania 32 where I had some ranges as well. I could probably pull
0: that up. Um <sighs> So do you think this will break the all-time pro wrestling gate of 17.3 million dollars? Um Can we back into it that way? No, it's going to If it's 250,
1: it's going to come really close because $250 times Six thousand, sixty-eight thousand nine hundred is seventeen point two million dollars, which would be one hundred thousand dollars short of the all-time pro wrestling gate record, unless you count mm-hmm. unless you count for a Rumble. Yeah.
0: But I, I really do think that they might be trying to stick more seats in the stadium than they did the last time around, and so I wouldn't be surprised if they could get closer to the seventeen point seven, even eighteen million dollar gate number for this year, because so- it's New Jersey. I think they're just going to go all out about making it cost a lot. So in
1: March two thousand sixteen I wrote an article. There was an article with a byline from our friend Keith Harris, where he was uh he was kind enough to just, you know, let me publish something through him on Cage Side Seats. And we've got let's see, Levi Stadium, WrestleMania thirty two, lowest ticket price looks like it's thirty nine, highest ticket price two thousand and four. I mean that's right right in range. I mean that that's
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean I think it's, I think what it's really going to come down to is things like how many seats can they put down on the field? And then just, so add, the fact that they're talking about, you know, adding 4,500 floor seats, it'd be the question of in years past, did they bother to get 4,500 floor seats on there? Or was it more like 2,000? So because those are the most expensive seats.
1: Yeah. WrestleMania 31, lowest ticket price 42. So that's higher than the next year of 39 all
0: yeah, the way up to yeah, 1, 000, yeah,
1: that's $3 higher. So I'll, I'll just paste these images right in the doc
0: because it'll be interesting. good idea. Interesting. To you so yeah, it just, answers. it's just kind of an interesting um, set of points. So um, we, we would say the most they could possibly announce is 82,500 for this. Even though if we go back to the last time MetLife uh, was run, which was in 2013, 2015, they announced 76,976. That was 2013, right? That was 2015. MetLife. Oh, you said, I'm sorry. No, that I totally read the wrong one. 2013, WWE announced 80,676 in 2013 at East Rutherford. Mm -hmm. Yes, MetLife. Mm -hmm. So they've already announced 80,676. So if they can actually sell 82,500, who knows? Maybe they'll even announce 90,000 or something for the show. Or or they don't want to break the WrestleMania number. So maybe they'll... Or the, uh, not the WrestleMania, the, the WrestleMania 3 type number. So maybe let's go like 89,000 or 88 or something.
1: Yeah. They, um, they usually exaggerate. They give an announced number about 10, 15% higher than what, what our median paid range is.
0: So maybe, maybe 88. Yeah. You
1: could see that. I mean, they've, they've, they haven't announced a huge number since 32, right? That's the 101,000 number, but they've done yeah. 75, 78 last two year's.
0: Except for the, um, whatever the Royal Rumble was in Alamodome. And they, were they exaggerated?
1: Oh, that was a pretty big number. Uh, we think what 40, 50,000 for the Alamodome or Royal Rumble 2017.
0: What the real number was. Yeah. Yes. But what they announced, let's see here, 2017 Royal Rumble. Let's just look up on Wikipedia what they're claiming. It's going to be, they claim 52,000. So I guess not as high as I was yeah, thinking. it was going to be 52,020. Yeah. So interesting, uh, set of, set of, uh, data points. And, uh, I, I think you did a great job kind of just talking through, it's amazing to me that we have seen it go from a hundred dollars Georgia dome, 2011 for to 133 for Roxena one, 164 for Roxena two. And then a couple of years after that, you get into 218, 230. And could be even higher for this show, which just, I think that's WWE strategy right now is that they are not concerned about burning out the casual fan. They're not concerned about outpricing the casual fan. When we go and we look at what just happened, we can see that they just released a press release saying WrestleMania generated $175 million for New Orleans. And um, they 77% of the fans who purchased tickets to WrestleMania came from outside New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans. And, you know, they averaged almost four nights in town. They spent, you know, tens of millions on hotels and 10 million on restaurants and lots else. So it's it's pretty interesting just to see. Dave Dave was making the point that, you know, actually they had more people going to local Superdome big shows than local people went to WrestleMania. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's always, you know, that's, that's based on surveys and, and other uh, predictions. So it's a little harder to know. I, I really, enjoyed um, this, you've, you've added a graph here. Yeah. One second. For, I, for, I, for I just wrestling history.com. We can get into that. I
1: just wanted to, to mention, I really enjoyed this, this piece of writing. It was like the most Dave paragraph it begins with the key is actually that's misleading. And now here's a reference about the territory days.
0: Yeah. It was a very Dave, uh, uh paragraph. He did the same thing. There, There'll be a story that we're going to cover on the, um, a premium show about UFC getting a new pay-per-view split with their their uh, providers. And if you read through the paragraphs he wrote on that one, you got to wade through four or five or six different paragraphs till you can finally figure out what exactly is he saying in terms of who's making more money, when and how. Um, because he he spent some time kind of ex- trying to explain his methodology, but then he's also just randomly talking about different revenue numbers UFC has and uh it's pretty overwhelming at times he needs footnotes is what he needs in the uh observer like a legal filing yeah
1: okay this graph that you're talking about is not a pro wrestling history graph but it does use data from prowrestlinghistory.com which is a great great site if you ever want to go to prowrestlinghistory.com they have all sorts of results of major events and tournaments and they, they include some business numbers like attendance and gate and even tv ratings um but no this is a this is this bar graph column graph was part of the article that I'm that I was just talking about from cage side seats were in the, in the lead up to WrestleMania 32, knowing that they were going to try to draw 100,000 people. Uh, I was trying to figure out, are they going to break the record here? Even adjusted for inflation, is this going to break the gate record? And, uh, I predicted $17.7 million. It ended up being $17.3 million. So that's pretty close. And it did break the record. Um,
0: hmm. good prediction. Yeah. That's how I got my job here. Yeah. That's how you got your job. That's true. Um One of the other things uh, I just want to say with WrestleMania weekend is, is Brandon Howard Thurston going? Uh Maybe I'm, I'm probably not going to WrestleMania. The tickets are all, well, who knows? I mean, the tickets are
1: reasonably priced on, even on the secondary market. You can get one from under a hundred dollars. Who knows? Maybe. Um But here, I will make a prediction for the average ticket price because you look at these numbers a- across the last several years and they don't go up a lot. I mean, in the case of 2015 to 2016, the actual, the, Average ticket price actually goes down a dollar. I guess that's because they wanted to go to AT&T stadium and had to fill a bigger stadium, but eh, it's going up. Let's see from 17 to eight or from 2016, 2017. It's going up six dollars. Then it went up. What is that? $12. Maybe it'll go up like I'm, see, I'm making myself change my mind now. Maybe it'll go up by like $10. I get, well, all right. 245.
0: 245. And, and what's important to keep in mind is it is, it's the, opportunity cost of the added seats when they try to get a higher attendance number mm-hmm. is basically every time you get over a certain number, I don't know whether it's 60,000, whether it's 65,000, whatever that number is, every time you want to go higher than that, you basically have to downgrade the price that you want those tickets to be because people are going to have a pretty awful view of the ring. They're going to be pretty darn far away from where the action is. And so to sell those seats, you got to make them cheap. Yeah. Now, do you and believe so, yeah. So that? I just mean that the function here, you'd be doing, you know, a y equals MX plus B type thing. Um, there's that intercept type term, but I, I just, I guess I just think that if we compared the numbers that you have here for average price for ticket, and then you also compared that against what the total number of people were, especially if we could ever get an idea of what was the total number of people off the floor or off the first, you know, ring of things, how much was there in the upper deck? that's going to tell you a lot about what the average ticket price is year over year. And so, and in some ways you have to really be an expert on, on arenas to say, okay, MetLife, what other arena on this list is closest to that? And then kind of look at that same model. You know, I bet you MetLife is a lot like MetLife. um, But unfortunately we've gone up almost 60 bucks since the last time we ran it.
1: Obviously the issue here is there's a ton of price points um, just in these diagrams of the stadiums, something like 13 price points just there. I'm sure there's more. Uh, especially when you consider VIP
0: packages and things like that, but, uh, well, and the Superdome went up 70 bucks between the first time they ran it in 2014 and the second time they ran it in 2018. So by that same logic, 70 bucks added to MetLife would put them at 234, which would put them exactly where last year's Superdome was. I still feel like this is hotter than that in terms of their ability to sell these tickets in a, in a high price marketplace. So I got to think it's going north of 240. Okay. So you're predicting 250 for an average
1: ticket price. Do you think the, yes. do you think the number of tickets that they're actually going to sell or have sold? Cause they're basically all, all they're going to sell are almost all sold except for 305. Do you think that number is 69,000 or higher? You think, cause you kind of suggested earlier that you think it's higher. They're going to put more tickets down there.
0: Yes. Yes. I would, I would think that they're going to have at least 3,000 more seats than they did previously. So let's go with 71, 248. 71, 248.
1: What a. What a obscure number. So what is is that? 71,248 paid attendance, says Mookie, for $250 a piece equals $17.8 million, a new record. Yep. A new record. You've heard it here first. Mookie is predicting a new all-time pro wrestling gate record for WrestleMania 35.
0: Which will then also prove whoever is on that show is the all-time greatest draws of all time, and therefore the best professional wrestlers of all time because they made the most money. Triple H and Stephanie McMahon. Oh, no. Triple H is hurt. He'll he'll be back for WrestleMania. You think he's got magic healing powers? He's going to appear on WrestleMania one way or another. I think John Cena uh, has, has been finding him uh, medicinal cures in the, the deep hinterlands of China and is going to bring it back so Triple H can recover using his Cena-like powers. Well, if, uh, if,
1: if Triple H is into medicinal cures, he may have, uh, I mean, it may have been medicinal cures that caused this injury for all
0: we know that did not come up during the NXT call. No, it didn't. He did open actually the call by saying, "Let me tell everybody about how my injury's going." And so, you know, at least at least he uh he kind of addressed it ahead of time uh and just said, "You know, he's in a uh uh immobilizer. He's back on the road and the road to recovery is rehab, rehab, rehab." Um and I got to tell you the best thing you can do if you have a serious injury is travel as much as possible. Yeah. Have you been uh, injured in traveling? No, no, actually I have not. Oh. Uh I talked to a guy once who got uh, a pretty bad injury and had to get surgery somewhere else. And then when he was coming back, he's like, they wanted to fly me economy and I couldn't move my leg. And I was like, no, you can't fly me economy. And I tried to explain to him that the original plan was to fly him air freight. And so he should be thankful that we were going to let him go up into the main cabin. Yeah. But uh, he, he did not show the proper. Proper gratitude for this pointing out, you know, mm-hmm. tickets cost money. People when you're injured, you're not making us any money, mm-hmm. but, uh, this, it's a pretty interesting call, um, NXT call that they had, uh, Dave Meltzer participated, Brian Fritz participated, um, Sean Rassap from Fightful, Jason um, Powell, your friend, Jason Powell, Jason Powell and Mike Johnson, uh, and, uh, a guy from the UK yeah. who, uh, we, I got the automated transcription from not a great YouTube. connection. And it was fantastic the way oh. that they translated Gary Stonehouse's question. Cause they basically, it turned into, um, some of the best factions you've ever had, such as the polygamy that went on with the evolution. And you know, it's just like, Oh, that did not come through correctly. Um, but, uh, and, and, and Google translate or Google, um, YouTube transcriptions does not like uh, Champa's name at all. That's mm. another one that mm. that gets messed up quite a lot. And uh, WWE becomes Debbie W slash E sometimes, which is, is entertaining. Interesting. But uh, I went through, I edited the transcript, I fixed it up, I made it readable. And if you are a premium subscriber, all you have to do, click on the, the notes that we publish, and you'll be able to actually read this edited transcript and follow along and listen to the whole call. Um, and we have a, a YouTube link up for people to uh, listen to the call if they haven't heard it yet. But um, I wanted to call out a couple key points that went through the show is because it wasn't all about just the, the upcoming Wargame show that's going to be on tonight. And uh, I'm actually planning to watch it. How about you?
1: Yeah, I, I I've thought about that a couple times throughout the day. Oh, yeah, it's on tonight. I'll have to watch it. It's uh, and it's, it, We are recording this before the show happens. I'm sure most people will be listening to it after. Uh, but yeah, we're going to play audio clips from this call. How did you obtain this audio? Did you Were you a participant in the conference call
0: itself? Well, I'm not saying that I am Adam Hopkins, the, uh, the liaison to WWE.
1: Is Mookie just your burner account? It's
0: just a burner identity I've developed with the help of Mr. V. Putin, yeah. uh, over the course of several years. So it's been working out well for me. Because how else would you, would you know all this stuff about W business? Well, you know, there's, there's some. Countries of the world that are better at getting records than other countries. And so much like a PACER or a FOIA request, uh, sometimes there's just a faster way to get them. Mm-hmm. And, and you just embed yourself with the right people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what can I say? I'll have to reach out later to WPublic Relations to confirm this. Well, I would, I would probably start with my, um, my mate liaison. It's a, a, a Bulgarian B at hotmail.com. Mm-hmm. Not going to be able to say who it is, but it's someone secret on the roster right now who's got some connections for me. I see. But, um, oh, the first time stamp, uh, UK market came up a lot for a call that was about actually the, the war game show here in America. Um, NXT UK came up again and again and again. And so, uh, I thought it kind of had some interesting, um, ramifications. It came up later on at the 20 minute mark. I don't really want to listen to that part so much, but at the four minute mark, there were some questions about the UK uh, marketplace. We're going to listen to that first
2: successful. I also want to mention that to me the excitement level coming off of NXT UK lately has been um, impressive. I'm I'm happy fans seem to be very responsive to the brand, very responsive to the product that we've put out so far and I look at as we turn the corner into the new year uh really making uh some announcements and making that into something special as well and uh, really beginning to deliver on on uh on the fan base there something that they'll be thrilled with. So with that said, um, let's get into the call.
0: So um, I'm just going to cut it off there, but WWE uh, stock has plummeted over the course of the last month here. It's probably down what? 30% or, I mean, sorry, $30, uh, Th- almost 30% actually a little bit more than 30%, but um, it peak. is down to $65 yeah. and 50 cents. It was down 4% on uh, Friday. And over the last month here, as I look on Yahoo Finance, it started the month on October 18th at about $84. And it's lost $20 since then. And if I go back just a hair, the height of everything, it turns out was the weekend before the Jamal Khashoggi murder. Um, I don't think the two are one to one related in the sense that I don't think that the, 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 in- complete decline was because people were associating it with WWE's willingness to do the Saudi Arabia show. But the impacts of the Saudi Arabian turmoil began to ripple through the marketplace combined with WWE's Q3 week showing combined with the continued criticism of the Saudi Arabia deal combined with the lack of anything else being announced by them to kind of take the heat off them in any way. Cause on, um, September twenty eighth, twenty eighteen, the stock was all the way up at ninety six seventy three, just flirting with that hundred dollar mark. That you know, George has a Christmas ornament already built for that he's dying to take out. Um, this is also around the time that I think George um, made that announcement, right, that he was going to sell all that stock and uh, begin. Remember, he he said he was going to begin liquidating stock, like in in late November. That's right. That's right. That he he basically saying ahead of time, don't read into what I'm doing. I'm telling you all ahead of time, I'm going to sell a whole bunch of stock. Um, and it's just kind of amazing to think that in the time since then, he's lost $30 of value. Um, I haven't seen any insider transaction notifications lately. No. So I don't think he's been selling, um, the stock. And honestly, if I was him, I wouldn't. Yeah. If, um, if he had, th- we should be, I believe we should be seeing
1: what are called form fours for those. For any, we there's like a, a, There was something that Stephanie McMahon did a few years ago that's very similar or the same thing. I mean, with different yep. numbers of shares, but the same thing that Stephanie McMahon did that George Berrios is now doing this year. Um, but but then once the transactions – it's like a warning that, hey, I'm going to sell a bunch of stocks soon. Uh, but he hasn't sold it yet
0: because I believe if he did, we would get a, an SEC filing and we would get In the In fact, out. that was the day he announced it. On September 28th, 2018, it was saying September 27th, he had adopted this oh, plan. Oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah. And here's the key. He can't sell until November 27th. So mm-hmm. he, he still has 10 more days before, um, uh, the firm is authorized to quote periodically sell an aggregate up to 175,000 shares. And he has to sell. No, no. I think it just says that he, he has, I, I think that, it's authorized to yeah, sell them. A brokerage firm will be authorized. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if it... I'm positive that, you know, that he can probably choose not to do it. I think part of it is that he's... I think part of it is that they don't want it to be interpreted as, you know, he's trading on insider information. That he knows what's going to happen with the UK deal. He knows what's going to happen with the India deal. He knows what's going to happen with the Saudi Arabia deal. Because, frankly there is still questions about what will happen with the Saudi Arabia deal. They, they very well could be going to a model where they're not going to run it twice a year. They could go to a model where they make, they demand other concessions or they want to take it off the network and they want to make it a much more low profile thing or do a thousand other things. So, so what does it have a to lot do with what Paul of X said about, what does it have to do with what Paul of X said? Well, I was curious because he, in, he said, we're, we, we, turn the corner into the new year, really making some announcements and making that into something special. And I, I just get this feeling that a, when did WWE say that they had to, um, Brandon just sneezed so loud that he uh, muted the microphone. I did. Um, When did, when did WWE say they had to announce that UK deal Uh, by the end of this year? And how many days are left in this year?
1: 31 plus 17. So just
0: under 50 days left. 44 days. Yeah. But that includes weekends, right? Yeah. Pretty sure they're not going to announce anything on a weekend. Probably not? Pretty sure they're not going to announce anything on a Christmas. Mm -hmm. Pretty sure they're not going to announce anything on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Pretty sure they're not going to announce anything on a day where the market's not open at all. Mm -hmm. But they can make phone calls on those days. So, and then, but, but like Thanksgiving and stuff also knocks off a couple market days is my point. Mm-hmm. So they have I'm sure maybe is working on Thanksgiving and Christmas, maybe 30 market days mm-hmm. left to, to announce this deal. Yeah. I just, I just think it's really interesting that he's talking about, we're going to announce something big about NXT UK, but you got to wait till next year. And the UK TV deal is coming up really, really soon. And so I just wonder if this is a sign that perhaps WWE is trying to very much get a much better distribution opportunity than putting it on their WWE network service and pretending that that's a real launch.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're already putting the episodes out there, but there's no reason why they couldn't put them somewhere else instead, or maybe geoblock it in UK
0: territories and keep it on the network everywhere else. If, this, mm-hmm. if the technology is there for that. Sure it is. They did that with main event. They've done it with India. They've done it with other places where they've, they've done that. Obviously the other thing it could be is with the new WWE tiering system that at some point is going to get announced. Will NXT UK be the sort of thing that is going to be free around the world or would that be something that for, for instance, if you're an American you want to watch, you got to be on the high tier of the WWE network because they would argue it's not really for you. It's for the UK marketplace. And therefore, if you want to be hardcore enough to watch it, you're going to spend the extra five bucks to get that upgrade plan. Yeah, if, if that's something they're going to try to do in the first half of 2019, I think so. Yes. Yeah. So just I, I just reading. I know I'm reading a lot into kind of a very vague thing that he said, but I do think that there's something to it um, at the 20 minute mark. Uh, we're not going to play all of it, but um, just quickly going to it to to look to see what he said in the transcript. Um. He just talked about, you know, every year tests are established. At what stage do you start doing house shows? What is your goal was the question. And um, basically, Paul Levesque just kept going on and on about how the buzz on the brand is positive. And we look at it kind of like a U.S.-based program. And we do we don't want to run live events just to say we're running live events. And this is really one of the biggest things going on in professional wrestling when you really think about it. There, and we'll talk about this on the premium show some more, but when you look at the pro wrestling landscape, how many house shows you run is a big question mark because there is a lot of paths to viability and profitability and not all of them involve a, a massive house show marketplace model. That said, not all of them involve TV rights. Not all of them involve pay-per-view. Not all of them... There's a lot of different things. Like I don't think New Japan can be quote-unquote successful in the United States unless they are out there actually running live events here. I don't think that Lucha Underground needed to necessarily run house shows, though I thought they should have. Did Was WWE's
1: uh, live event business even profitable
0: last quarter? Not after you take into the stock compensation piece. Uh, Otherwise, it was about break-even. And it's kind of shocking to me That a business that big that has that much mobility, has that much weight in this industry is running 500 some events a year would not be able to find a better way to stick penny profit out on those kind of events, especially with the raising of ticket prices, which it just, again, questions whether or not they're they're coming to the to the the end of what the modern live event model looks like. And that's exactly what Vince McMahon said on that call. He said, we are going to reimagine the live event.
1: Model. The, the, the price elasticity of W ticket prices is, is reaching its, its breaking point maybe.
0: Right. You know, I, I honestly think it's a relevancy measure is that the challenge is that nothing happens on a house show. It doesn't matter in any way. The only thing we're seeing that's like remotely close to it is that for instance, uh I think Starcade they announced that they're going to put, part of the um, special Starcade show that they're running Thanksgiving weekend on the network oh, like a one hour special okay. was
1: announced this week. They're, they're doing it in some city. That's not like a mid Atlantic city though.
0: Is it? I thought it was, I thought it was going to be down in, um, let's see here. One hour Starcade special added WWE network. Um, it, you're right. It comes from Cincinnati, Ohio. Yeah. Last year went from Greensboro. Yeah. But this year it's from Cincinnati, Ohio. So and, and you know, they they advertised what sounds like a decent show, you know, Seth Rollins versus Dean Ambrose, Street Fight, Braun Strowman versus Baron Corbin. Can't wait for that. AJ Styles versus Samoa Joe in a steel cage match, Nakamura versus Rey Mysterio. That should actually be kind of good. Um New Day versus The Bar, Balor versus Drew, Miz versus Rusev, and a special concert as Ric Flair joins Elias. Oh, wow.
1: So let me get this right. So WWE, by far the biggest pro wrestling promotion in the world. Global media conglomerate. They're averaging for live attendance in North America, about 5,000, right? 5,400, 5, maybe last quarter was 4,500. And and that's the highest average attendance for any pro wrestling company in the world, right?
0: Close to it. I mean, CMLL does better in certain ways, but, but essentially WWE is. So this is kind of a preview we're going to talk about on, on the premium show, but like, CMLL,
1: it has a higher average attendance than WWE? I don't know.
0: It's hard to, it's, the, CML, it's not like we get house show numbers from every single place for CMLL, where'd you but get it is, it from? was surprisingly high when I looked at a year's worth of numbers. Okay. That was from wrestling data? Uh, from wrestling data. And I, I might've also gotten through observer data. Okay. I, I would have to check my, my notes of where I got that number from. So what's
1: being reported of CMLL, yeah. they which, might doing- which
0: I would always think has a bias towards larger gates. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I, I'm not saying it's hundred percent, but I, but yeah, WWE is one of the largest and they're not making a lot of money on live events right now, which is alarming. It does include the NXT number in that live event number. So if they're running unprofitable live events through one segment of their business, be it Monday house shows, be it, um, you know, uh, uh, loops that are not very economical um, and that, that really hits you for a whole weekend really badly. That's possible, but I think as a whole, it just goes to say the idea of running a house show to do a house show because that's what wrestling companies do today. That's what we've always done. It's how it's always done, but it, it just makes you wonder, scratch your head a little bit to say, is that what the modern revenue model is? I mean, hell, why don't you just have all those guys go on YouTube for a couple hours or go on Twitch and get uh tokens instead? And uh that, then at least the wrestlers would have an idea of what the accounting really was. You're having do you, have you seen this um Becky Lynch, um,
1: what is it called? One day, this like five minute documentary about her and, and the, and the, the concussion
0: and the broken nose and all that. I have not, but it goes to, to the other thing I put on the doc, which you just put a question mark next to, which was called why pro wrestling? And I put a question, of, I, didn't, I didn't put a question mark next to it. That, that, that is about, a question itself. I was thinking about this all yesterday about what is it i love about wrestling Mm. and one big part of it was this idea of the passion of the performers and what i've realized is even more than good wrestling matches i am really captivated by any time that they can do a profile of a performer and give me insight into who they are and i can see how authentic or inauthentic they become and so I, I was talking about the Ruby riot one a couple of weeks ago yeah. where I was saying it was about kind of, how did she get started as a wrestler? And like, it, it's pretty telling to be like, you're stuck in Indiana and you are there and you decide to go be a wrestler and you go through all the steps it takes to get all the way up to the main roster. It's unfathomable when you start at that level to think, yeah, someday I'm going to be on WWE TV or you, you listen to Kevin Owens parents Talk about how proud they are of him, and and how difficult it was for him to get there. Or I always bring up the Luke Harper one, where you know you you talk about it. There was never an imagination that someone you see on television would be someone you would actually wrestle in a ring some other point in your life. So the passion of those people, I think, always speaks so highly. And in some ways, we invest so strangely into certain areas of getting people over and not other areas. And and this came up in the talk with Paul Levesque, where they someone asked him. Are you going to bring back breaking ground? Which I loved. It was the NXT reality series where they kind of profiled different NXT rookies and people that were kind of getting kicked out of NXT saying, you know, how are they performing? What are they learning? What are they? How is this? How are they progressing? And it humanized and interested me in so many wrestlers that previously I had zero, um, capacity to process. And at the same time, it, 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 you know, told a story about how should you feel about what a guy like, what is it, Tino Sabatelli, where it's like, wow, look at that car he's driving. Look at what he's doing here in developmental. Mm-hmm. He's had a different life than a lot of these people. And he's not necessarily ashamed of it to say, hey, I made enough money in football to do this. And at the same time, I'm coming into your world and I'm still trying to work these stupid house shows to make a life. Yeah. And I thought it was a fascinating show. I was disappointed more people didn't watch it. Yeah, and
1: Baron Corbin was a big story coming out of there. Just like not that you necessarily
0: what a loner dorky was
1: (laughs) not that you necessarily found him more likable afterwards, but that, but that there was a definable recognizable personality there of like, yeah, everybody knows that guy. Who's just like such a
0: dick. And you know, he doesn't want to help out with
1: the ring and you know,
0: yeah, well, I thought that was funny. And I think you talked about it, um, that there was a whole series in this NXT talk about what is the performance center culture and it's weird team. And it's someone in there as, as Paul Levesque said at one point, it's someone in here doesn't want to be part of this team if they're not a good fit i will quote and uh, see if i can find it here if they're going to ruin the, cu- the culture within yeah. the pc i'll eliminate them
1: he, i think he tried to use it but yeah that's what uh, that that's basically what he was saying is that you're gone if it if he thinks that you're going to contaminate the culture of which to me he makes sound like you know it's a very supportive competitive but supportive culture
0: Which I would love to actually hear from wrestlers on whether they, they get that impression or not. I would think if you have a hundred people, this is like the preseason in the NFL or something when they're, they're making all the team cuts Mm -hmm. where you're a team, but at the same time, there's a hundred of you and you know, 20 of you are going to get to stay on Mm -hmm. and go up on the roster someday. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking wrestling, not football here, but like that's competitive environment. And it's interesting to me. And this actually related to my other point about pro wrestling, about what made it interesting to me. One of them was it it reminded me a little bit of of rest of um improv, which is the person everyone wants to perform with in an improv is the one who makes other people look good. Mm -hmm. That the idea of the best improviser is the person who makes everyone else in that scene seem like they are great improvisers. And wrestling is very much the same way. People want to wrestle the guy that makes everybody else look good wrestling. And it's not necessarily the guy that wins the most. It's not necessarily the guy is the strongest or the flashiest moves. It's the person who knows best how to accentuate what you're doing when you're working with them. And this is part um, of the answer for why
1: Ric Flair was champion for the NWA for so long, because he made the stars in the other
0: territories around the country look so good. Yeah, yeah. And so I just thought a lot about, they talked so much in this PC culture that that's what, in fact, they were trying to push the performance center is the idea that you you want to make each other look good. And I would just question whether or not that is actually a model fit for when you get to the next level and you go on the main roster of Raw and SmackDown and you're working with everyone. And do you feel like it's that same attitude of everybody's trying to make this show better, everyone's trying to make each other better, or whether it's this cutthroat nature of, Oh my God, this is my time. This is my area. And you coming into this world is going to interfere and step on my toes. You know, it's, it's the joke about the Shawn Michaels, um, uh, interview where he'll say, uh, I think it was with triple H. He said, you know, everyone's going to tell you wins and losses don't matter. Cause it's pro wrestling. I'll tell you the secret. They matter. So are you, are you asking, should it be different or is it different on the main roster? I guess I'm just asking, I wonder if this is lip service or whether this is like the way that, you know, the proud coach feels about his team and he doesn't get to see the backstabbing and the, you know, the way that the, the, the people who get ahead, are they really the people that were, were making each other look the best all the time? Or were they the people that management chose? Because this, this would very much argue that it has very little to do with management making you, you being the golden boy. And management saying, you're the one that we're going to keep. And this guy over here, we don't need him anymore. But, you know, that's been the history of wrestling is nepotism and favorites and whatnot. Um, and, and you know, even to the point of, like, I think in that Breaking Ground or one of the specials, they talk about how Seth Rollins says, I nearly got fired from developmental. And Triple H and I had a heart to heart where basically he said, you have a choice here on which path you're going to take. And one of those paths does not involve you staying here anymore. Mm hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, it, to me, it's a serious question, but it just, I thought it was really interesting the way he talked about what he thinks this performance center culture is. But at the same time, you're putting a hundred people into a a tank that probably holds 40. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's stuff that, that's
1: happening that, that he's not aware of in terms of politics among workers. Um, I think, think about like who, who are the people on top in NXT? Who are the people who are going to appear on this takeover tonight? There's only four matches, right? Um, I don't see many of them being like conniving Triple H like political figures behind the scenes.
0: I don't know. No, I mean, like, no. but and at the same time, you could also say, let's look at all the people who are on this card and let's judge how many of them were able to be, um, truly built by, by, uh, the by NXT, the PC, by the PC and the NXT environment. Yeah, I mean, because if I look at this latest one, we're going to have, I'll just, I'll just read off some of the names here and we can kind of just quickly think about what that looks like. Yeah. Uh, so this latest show is NXT War Games, November 17th from the Staples Center. So you have Champa versus the Velveteen Dream. Velveteen Arguably, Dream. Arguably, the Velveteen Dream is completely a performance center creation. Yes, he wrestled a tiny bit on the Indies before that, but he didn't show anything on Tough Enough or anything else that's Near the level of what he's doing today. And it wasn't high-level indies like Giampa's independent career was. Yeah. Alistair Black versus Johnny Gargano. Both of them established indie names for for a a serious amount of time before they came to WWE. Mm -hmm. Uh, Undisputed Era, all of them very established people. Cole, Fish, O'Reilly, Strong versus Dunn, Ricochet, and the War Raiders. All of them working high levels in done probably the person who's benefited the most mm-hmm. from, from this in terms of coming from absolute, uh, a worldwide recognition. Now he wasn't a guy that necessarily was going to Japan and doing a lot of other stuff previous to this, but he was still one of the top people in Europe. And he was well known through progress and probably other promotions that I'm not super aware of. Yeah. And then, um, Kari Sane and Shayna Baszler, mm-hmm. obviously women's wrestling is a very different profile than men's wrestling because there's only so many places you can go in the world and, and really make a career of it. Shayna was working, I think, in stardom in places before she came. Yeah. And Kari Sane, of course, was working in stardom and other places. So both of them. So it's, it's a show where I, I don't disagree with what Triple H is saying and I don't. And, and he even talked about it. Dave Meltzer asked him, why is there only four matches? Why not five matches? And, and he just basically said, we want to give the right amount of time for the show. And he even goes into kind of a, an anti-WWE speech where he talks about, I don't think we need to necessarily run a show such that we have to add pointless segments and cool down the crowd and do other stuff. I'd rather just have a hot, strong show the whole way through. Hmm. I didn't Um, didn't
1: catch that. You did not timestamp that.
0: An anti WWE rant, you call it. No, it's not an anti WWE rant. I just thought it was very much about the philosophy of saying, kind of like, we don't need to add these superfluous segments. Yeah. And I think that just gets to the heart of why NXT shows don't feel like the Raw and SmackDown shows, because they don't start off with the notion, it's four hours long. Therefore, you can't be exciting for four hours. Therefore, we got to add filler in between the exciting things. And already, you've gone down a weird path.
1: And that's why you should be optimistic about... A, a Triple H led
0: W creative team. Perhaps. Perhaps. So let's talk about something a little bit closer to your uh, heart. Uh, at this 1050 mark, uh, it's called international, oh, I'm sorry, the independence and international performance centers. So, um, you had the tryout in Germany recently, and obviously NXT UK is, uh, running a number of episodes every week now. What sort of insight can you give us into the continued expansion into Europe and uh, NXT internationally? Because, you know, there seems to be uh, some sort of relationship with WXW in Germany. Obviously, you have the relationship with Progress and ICW. Uh, and even here in the States, the Evolve relationship has grown late. You know, what sort of insight can you give us a- a- into sort of the, the international push? Because even on the most recent stockholders call, there were references to international performance centers and things like that. So how close are we to having these full time and uh, what's
1: the next step that you can uh, kind of provide some insight on?
2: Yeah. I mean, um, we're obviously making progress on it uh, going forward every day. You know, uh, the tryout in Germany was, was very successful for us. Um, a lot of uh, athletes came forward that were, that have experience and we found many that don't, that have a, uh uh Seemingly a a gift or a a natural propensity towards being good at what we do, um, but only time will tell, obviously, Um, you know, the ability to build a pipeline, as I've said many times around the world and a pathway to get to WWE, to get to a point in your career where you can be um, successful and lucrative without the risk, without the, the, um, the hustle, without the, Inherent issues that go along, and I don't mean this as a knock in a way, but with the independent side of it um, where, you know, am I going to get paid? Am I going to show up and the ring is there? Or is it broken? Is, you know, if I do get hurt, is there a, a doctor or a paramedic even there? Is there, like, what are the things that are the basic necessities And trying to create systems around the globe with the promotions that are do things in the right way, the meaningful way that are, that are cultivating talent that are helping them to grow and become something more. And, you know, long-term my goal would be to have this around the globe where there is a viable, um, you know, it it can be done now, but it's the exception to the rule and it's here and there. And it's, it uh, takes a lot of hustle, but to have a career, if you never make it to raw or SmackDown, if you never make it to that level, but that you can have this successful long-term long career with some security to it with some uh, with.
0: So I, I just thought that was really entertaining where he starts talking about what it's like to be on the independent scene. So this must happen to you a lot. You show up, you work a show and you find out you're not going to get paid and there's no doctor there. And the ring breaks, all those things happen to you all the time
1: to me personally, not Mm -hmm. Not, not me personally anymore. I don't, I'm old enough now. How do I say this? I'm, I'm old enough now and selective enough now and ex- I get on some level experienced enough that I, like, I don't just take random bookings where it's, things are very uncertain.
0: And, uh, on the other hand, I'm not degree, like ambitious might to the be point a worse where, problem overseas. That you, you have that greater fear of, well, I'm going to Latin America, and I don't really know if the promoter's going to pay me what he said he was going to pay me. And that's happened this is, to a lot of people. This is definitely happening States. on the U.S. Indies still today.
1: Absolutely. Like, there's there's low-level Indies out there that are like, is this, is this promoter tr- trustworthy? Is this, you know, what's going on here? Is there going to be pay? Who am I going to work? Is it going to be safe? And but I you know I think what the things that he's talking about here are pretty legitimate in terms of like if you want to ideally if you want to develop a talent that's got a lot of potential who's very athletic and shows you know personality and stuff how do you want to you know cultivate them and develop them do you want to to develop them in 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 the in in indies that are unsafe and and maybe you know he's not going to get the he or she are not going to get the most the best experience or you know who are they going to work. Uh, it, are they gonna, even going to get paid? Are they going to have to like lose a lot of money in the process? Are they going to be turned off by that and never even end up developing because of that? I know what he's saying. Like, and, and I guess the solution here, right, is what he's getting at. It's not that it's going to eliminate all these indies, but that it's going to provide a, a better platform by basically creating WB indies. They won't be called indies, but they'll be called like performance centers or NXT brands around the world where that stuff can happen. I think that's kind of like what NXT is about is like it's taking this, this, you know, part of the wrestling economy that WWE wasn't doing everything it could to to occupy and it's starting to occupy that space
0: because I don't know if the talent is there and the fan demand is there. I agree, but only to a degree, because in a sense, I, we just ran through the whole NXT roster for who is doing the show and almost every one of them built their back, built their credibility, built their skill set on that, quote unquote, unsafe indie scene. And so I think there's a lot to be said about the idea that I don't know whether of a Matt Riddle would have come into his own and become the Matt Riddle that is today had he not had that time out in the desert for him to kind of solidify and, and transmognify into who he became a talent that is now in NXT. And so I, I do worry about this idea that like if you only ever do a wrestling culture that is the NXT culture... Are you really actually giving people their opportunity to kind of change? And also the idea that somehow this is not the normal path. I'd argue for everyone they just showed as the top people here, that was exactly their normal path. And when I look at the top wrestlers in WWE, to a T, with the exception of Braun Strowman, most of them, that was the normal path. There's exceptions. There's... um uh, Alexa Bliss, there's Ron Strowman, there's Baron Corbin, there's people who are on the main roster, Jason Jordan, uh, that that didn't wrestle outside, but most of them came from an independent scene and moved up through that. And so I, I just think it's really interesting. I don't think one is good and one is bad. I just thought it it's a dream, but also at the same time, I kind of feel like you're you're still struggling with the fact that you just don't want to admit that the independents really have produced so much of your talent and you've been able to refine them. I think what he's
1: saying is that, well, first of all, the, the, the system that he's talking about doesn't exist yet. So, of course, almost every performer that's going to appear on this takeover tonight
0: is a, is a talent who was developed on the indies in large part. Wait, 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 wait. This, is, this system exists. The NXT's been going on for years and years and years with this heavy house show touring. Model. You, he's talking about global localization here, isn't he? Well, he's, he, he varies back and forth between international and, and domestic quite a lot. So I think it's very hard to sometimes know whether he's talking about only independence in internationally or whether he's talking about it a lot of indi- I, I took it more to be domestically. Okay.
1: Well, I, I guess, I guess I, I, I took it as imagining, you know, the NXT world order all over the globe. But like, even so, I don't believe that like the indies are, or non-WB wrestling on whatever level is going to end up becoming this place where like, you know, nobody ever develops from there again and goes on to on to WB But I think there's a space for WWE to to like answer that or, or reply to that and and say, like, here's there's, there's there's some real development of talent happening, you know, not under our umbrella. What are they doing that we can do and be a part of and, and like and.
2: But make, I think if some, they were really doing
0: that, they'd be looking at companies around the world that are doing interesting development and then trying to get more in touch with them. And and I guess you could Pro- say that's progress doing with WXW, I- evolve. And ICW, but WXW, yeah. I, okay, I guess I'll give you that. But I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think it's very interesting. Um, I, I, I'd, I'd put this link here, for instance, with this NXT Germany, uh, breakdancing dude. Oh my. in our, our document. Have you ever watched this guy? I'm clicking on it now. Probably let's, not. Let's listen to the audio of his promo.
1: Okay, one second. Give me, give me a second to cue this up here. Slide across. He, he, where is he? He's in the
0: Performance Center. Is that what, what, what's going on here? This was at the NXT Germany. Okay. Or the Germany tryout. Okay, here we go.
1: To make it here in WWE, a superstar should be more than you just can see. I'm almost two meters tall. 100 kilograms of pure energy. This is what all of you can see. But let me tell you what you can't see.
0: I speak four languages. I speak English. Я говорю Ich spreche Deutsch. Je français. A part of that, I do a lot of sports. I do basketball, football, freestyle, muay thai, basketball, dancing, hockey on ice. And I do something that no one expects from me. I do break dancing. And
1: when it comes to showtime, to entertainment, it's my time.
0: And now he's doing kind of a spinneroney <laughs> head head and all sorts of stuff. NXT Germany coming soon. Yes. Yeah. So I, mentioned- I, I, I I don't know. I just felt like when I heard that guy's promo, I was like, this seems like an SNL skit about <sighs> like European men does wrestling time. Was he but, signed uh, on that- the
1: spot? He knows multiple. He knew what, what to hit on. You know, multiple languages. Yeah. Multiple sports.
0: Yeah. But I mean, it, it just keeps going back. Who is the biggest
1: WWE star in China? Uh, Tan Bing got fired. Uh, biggest WWE
0: star in, oh, oh, oh to, to the Chinese audience, John Cena. John Cena. And it's just funny when you think about it, which like, in a sense, they really, really, really want to make a Chinese John Cena. But part of the model of finding a Chinese John Cena was, let's find the tallest boxer we could sign. Let's find the, you know, and just like, it. it sometimes it's just that kind of element where you're like, you're not actually trying to find who would be the best wrestler that's going to connect charismatically with people. You're trying to find, how can I find the American model that I know best? and then see the version of that that looks the same in that country. And I I just always think that that's going to be a challenge as we go kind of country to country here, trying to say, what are you doing to expand? Is that different countries are going to respond to different types of archetypes of characters. And sometimes I don't know if WWE understands enough of it to get what that archetype is. And especially just to know that the guy that screams off the page is the guy that screams off the page. And he—he, he, you don't have to be able to put a box in to say he's su- he's like such and such. They should just be that. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's really hard because it's subjective. Is that your lousy promo can be endearing and funny to someone else? And that breakdancing guy—it's hard to say what it is. He's not that big, even though he is nearly two meter tall, yes. um, hundred kilogram. Uh, but it, I don't know. It's just one of those things where I just thought that's a, that's a weird one for me of trying to decide. All I know is that if a U.S. guy showed up and seemed like that, you'd write him off. But here, this guy, he had the right mix of things that maybe maybe that's what they want. And they're focusing so much on international. You know, what is it they want? They keep bragging about how 40% of their new talent comes from international. That I almost wonder if you're a domestic guy, whether it's getting harder and harder and harder for you to get signed by WWE, because they'd rather go find some CrossFit athlete from Saudi Arabia or some boxer from China or some breakdancer from Germany.
1: At the same time, they're, they're
0: signing more people than ever. So it's not like the to number of what. Spots. I mean, that's the weirdest thing to me. Is it, it made sense when it was a territory model and the idea was we're going to get TV. We're going to do this and that. Here it's just like maybe we're going to do house shows. Maybe to, we're going to come up with loops. But to, you can't keep, do a loop in the UK that's not the same as doing a loop in, in North America. You know why they're signing To keep that talent away from other companies. And they're paying them very little. I mean 30 grand for some of these NXT UK for, for uh, the, for
1: the gamble of gamble on yourself and maybe you'll make it to WrestleMania.
0: Yeah. Speaking of gambling, speaking of financials, let's listen to the third and final clip here, which is called evaluating NXT financials. I feel like this, this, I didn't need to be on the call, Brandon. Mm-hmm. Someone asked the question for me. Yes, this was for us.
1: With NXT and how it's grown, is it more about developmental and show quality then the financial side. And I know the financial side is important too, but where do you draw
2: the line there between those components? So if you, if you, I, I think what you're asking, and I think I'll answer this for you is, you know, you have to look at it multiple ways of NXT, the performance center, the, the feeder system itself of what it, what it costs and what it takes to bring talent up and into the system. And, you know, it's, it's hard to look back that you, uh, you take a guy like Braun Strowman who had never stepped into the ring in his life, never stepped through the ropes and walked into the performance center. We brought him in, uh, trained him, got him up to the main roster and, and he's, you know, one of the biggest stars in the company. That value is incredible you don't just pick individuals and go like, that's the guy. And then that's the guy you have to go through. You have to bring in a lot of people and you have to try a lot of things. And you got to go through a lot of people to try to make that work. And you're going to find people all up and down the card. So there's a, there's a value to that in and of itself. When you can then turn around a brand on top of that, and you can turn around a talent roster on top of that, where you're cultivating all of that. And then you're building additional brands on top of that. You know, NXT does make money on the road touring. You know, the, the takeovers are are profitable, The you know, depending on how you look at it. But you, you have to factor into those. There's not just one thing where you say, well, the performance center, the that entire system, the 100 athletes that are there training all goes to NXT because that's not the point long term. The point is the overall health of the business and the brand for us. And, and that's on a global basis. Um, And as you begin to bring those in, they're all investments in the content and the talent that are there locally, but they're all long-term investments in WWE as a whole that there's going to be a talent pipeline that not only is trained in ring properly, is trained promo properly, is media trained, is professional, is, has life skills and, and, you know, is going to know how to invest their money and is going to know all the things that it takes to be successful in not just this business but in life going forward the more we have of that the better it is for everybody
0: there we go um i thought that was a very interesting answer i i could imagine paul rehearsing it in the hall before he went into george's office mm-hmm. as as mr barrio said uh tell me again paul uh why am i spending this Tens of millions of dollars. Why is my corporate and other spending shooting through the roof every year? Because your PC costs more and more money. Explain to me how this, this line makes sense. And, and it's not to say that we don't have models that deal with this. This is classic pharma, right? R and D years and years. You get drugs. A couple drugs are going to work. Then you have to get them through testing. Some of them are actually going to show on testing. They're going to work. Some of them are going to prove. Some of them aren't. And you're looking for basically big payoffs downstream for large investments. And you have to commit to spending a lot of money on R and D upfront without knowing exactly what the lifetime value of those things are going to be. So I I think there's many. I mean, obviously sports leagues have tons of analogies to this. Even television networks have analogies to this. Why do they, why do they pay for developmental deals with people? Because that it's not the belief that every developmental deal is going to turn into a successful game of thrones. But by locking up the right things, you're able to get that pathway to profitability in the future. But it's not always the simplest thing. It's not always one-to-one. Television shows oftentimes cost more in rights than they generate in advertising. But they make the money back on syndication or in the old days on video sales or on the selling to the streaming network in the future. There's a lot of different things you can do. So this is not a uniquely WWE problem. Lots of businesses deal with this idea that you're investing in the future. And developmental was never meant to be a pure P&L play where you make money every time. And that's one argument why maybe doing lots of house shows for NXT makes sense because it's seasoning the talent. Though, as is mentioned in another part of this thing here, there's not a point of running shows for the point of running shows. I was just fascinated with this because... I do think a hundred might be a, a little much. And I also think that, you know, oh. examples like Braun Strowman is very funny because they almost never used him on NXT television before they brought him up on the roster and he was green as hell. So
1: the, the issue that we're talking about here is that NXT slash the Performance Center are costing more and more money over time. Obviously, this is the thing that's only the Performance Center has only been around since 2013. And it's costing more and more money probably over time. They're signing more and more people. But if you're WWE and you're increasingly profitable, you've got enormous TV rights, escalating fees, even bigger deal coming in 2019. And for another five years after that, why wouldn't you just invest more in research and development? Like, how could you better spend that money? But Pharma, but in pharma, Thailand?
0: pharma. That's like our, the argument that every pharma company should just infinitely spend on R&D. And part of that is to say that there's probably an opportunity cost in terms of... I mean, obviously, there's a point where you're
1: spending too much. Um, yeah. I guess that's the question. Are they spending too much?
0: That's the, and that's also the question: Are you? Asking. What about the fact that you told me why did they why did they hire all those guys for NXT UK? Was that because they were the best talent in the world? I think
1: I think they hired all those talent from NXT UK, and I think NXT itself is, is emerged because like there's
0: no no. But why did they go to the UK? Why did they hire all those particular names in the, for NXT UK? Because they're... to mess with ITV.
1: Yeah, because they're, because companies like and and then why do they get friendly with Progress?
0: So they were friends with them and not somebody else. And, and yeah, I, and I just meant like some of the developmental strategy they don't like to talk about is basically that it is a land share game yeah. where and you're basically you're doing patent protection.
1: And NXT is is the answer to Ring of Honor in the United States.
0: Oh yeah, I I think I I would say that you can't be the cool brand. Raw and SmackDown will never be the cool brand. They're, they're your dad's wrestling show. Think about who's watching Raw SmackDown. The average age of the viewer is well over 40 years old on television. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you want to be the cool show, you've got to be aiming for a younger demographic. And you're fighting with NXT more than you're fighting with Raw and SmackDown.
1: Yeah. As, as Paul Levesque said on one of these conference calls probably a couple of years ago, that Raw and SmackDown are like pop music and NXT is like alternative
0: rock. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't say we, we think of NXT as the creed of our, uh, generation here. It's might not be like the Beatles, like, or the, the, uh, I guess with, uh, Vince, it would be the Rolling Stones, right? Ra is the Rolling Stones. He likes, this. uh, ACDC and Kid Rock, I think. ACDC and Kid Rock. And he's like, that NXT is that Macklemore's. Yeah. He might like Florida and Pitbull and Florida <laughs> Georgia line. I don't know. But yeah, I just part of this talk here. I just kind of felt like this might be be the talk that Paul has even had to give to other executives in WWE, being like, "Let me explain to you what the value is." But the idea that there's no way to evaluate a model like this, I would just say, no, this is very common for this to be a thing. But but if Ring of Honor
1: and ITV and whoever else are finding some value somewhere, why wouldn't you, as as WWE or as Paulovac, like why wouldn't you try to? get the talent that they're trying to get and then get that value or that TV deal for yourself.
0: I think it are, it's an argument over whether or not WWE is a wrestling company or an entertainment company. Cause I could be spending that money on WWE studios. I could be spending that money on corporate salaries. I could be spending it on data analytics. I could be spending it on a new building for our production studio. I, I I'm just saying in terms of it, what you're trying to argue is we need superstars. And it's also this argument that says, and, and he, he makes the point here is that you don't get to choose the guy. You find the guy that, and and to be honest, this has actually been something that I would completely agree with. When I did a study once of all the people that WWE brought up from uh, uh into, into WWF at from like 10 years, looking at it kind of as a post WrestleMania thing. And then I said, I, I'll call you a success. If you get into a, a main event on a pay-per-view, within, you know, so many months of what it is. I'm not even saying you're a success on television. I'm just saying you've made it up the card. And what I what I discovered is that pretty much the best indicator of whether you're going to be a success is just getting as many people. Find a star is that you just get as many people as you can through the system. The more people you shove through the system, the better chance you have of finding someone. Because there's some years there when you'll be like, oh my God, Vader and Foley both come into WWF. Which one of those two do you think has the bigger upside between Vader and Foley in 1995? You'd think Vader would kill it, right? Yeah. But in the end, Foley's the guy that made it. Right. And, and you see all this other stuff going on like that where you could just say, you know, I might not always be able to quote pick winners and losers. Of course we can pick winners and losers. But in, in terms of do the, is the must win guy, you think of a guy like Jason Jordan you know, they were, they were obviously going all in with him with the Kurt Angle thing here, gets injured and and now he's an afterthought. And it's really hard to know who's going to become an afterthought and who's going to become a superstar when you really put them through the ringer of, of reality on, on being performing week to week. And so I I just think it's interesting where, you know, part of what he's admitting his model is, is basically, we just got to get enough people ready, but it also speaks so highly to the one thing that they don't want to say, which is we don't know how to make stars. We don't know how to find stars. We don't know how to retain stars. We don't know how to create new stars. We're hoping this is the solution. And we're hoping this is the next wave. But it, it, there is a, a, a period where you could say, there's not a lot of people that you can point to and be like, this is the brand new big star that we figured out how to get up and get through the system. And we identified them from day one. Because even someone like Roman Reigns, that's exactly what's happening right now is that that reality that you would never in a million years guess is going to happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, as far as them not being able to create new stars, I think that's a a problem of of the creative direction of, of the main roster, which is dictated by Vince McMahon. And I think I think things will be better as far as creating stars once he's out of the way of that.
0: And the 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 other half of this whole call was all about the idea that NXT could someday be the the home, the brand, the life for someone without ever going to Raw and SmackDown. And that perhaps main event people will actually be not demoted, but just kind of moved back to NXT to freshen them up. And on top of that, that he talked a lot about player coaches and he, he didn't want to go into names. Uh, I think most people would probably identify people that are in NXT and they feel like they might be in NXT for perpetuality. Uh, for eternity. So, you know, like a Cassius Ohno, I think a lot of people would say he probably strikes people as someone who's kind of what they refer to as a player coach here, someone whose job it is to make other people better, get people ready, lend their experience and knowledge of their lifetime of, of professional wrestling. But they're probably not being put in the position where they say, hey, next WrestleMania, let's bring this guy up. Let's make a big deal of him. Let's put him on the road 52 weeks a year on SmackDown.
1: And keep him away from anyone else who might be able to use him if we didn't
0: sign him. And, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of wrestlers who they're terrified of the concept of going into a Triple H like match, tearing their pec and being out for months and months and then not knowing whether or not they're ever going to get called back from home and go back on the roster and work again. Uh, Triple H doesn't have that fear, but I, I'm sure other people get hurt. You know, every time Zack Ryder has one of his injuries, I imagine he just turns off his phone for six months mm-hmm. and, and just prays that it's going to work out. But that's, that's a scary position. So things like player coach positions are actually what some guys are gunning for. Cause they, they think I would rather be respected and, um, be able to do something that I'm good at. And, and there's a section in here. I didn't actually, um, have us play, but it talks about how does talent progress? And he talks about, you know, why is Velveteen Dream good at what he does? We tell him what to do and he seems to get it is, is kind of what some of it boils down to is it becomes instinctual for him. And when, where it's not instinctual, we tell him what it is and he figures it out. And that's important. And, and they just kind of make the point that like different coaches, the difference between a, a good coach and a not a good coach is that, you know, the good coach gets the people to figure out how to learn.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I guess as far as what you're saying about somebody becoming maybe a trainer afterwards, I'm sure there's a lot more security in that, right? Like you could get. You know, creative could just have nothing for you one month and, and then you're left off of everything and then you're eventually released. But if you're a trainer and you're good at I, it and,
0: and if you're... you become a trainer, I think you legitimately work for WWE. I, I think when they fired Bill DeMott, you know, he worked for WWE. He wasn't some independent contractor that happened to be a wrestler. Same with Matt Bloom, same with Sarah Amato, same with uh, Shawn Michaels. Now, you know, these people are are. Working for WWE would probably mean they get healthcare, health care, health insurance. They get 40K, 401k matching. It probably means a lot of other things They become executives that actually work for WWE. Social security tax contributions. FICA, mm-hmm. all sorts of things. Medicare. Who knows? Who knows? I would love to know that for sure. Uh, it's Florida though, so they. they my my understanding is there no laws hold. There's so no tax. There's no taxes in Florida. There's no taxes. It's there's anarchy. No ta- down the government there. comes around, and just gives you dollar bills. They day.
1: they they issue you a rifle,
0: and they say you're on your own. No ballots, just rifles. That's right. Um, but it's a it's a. I actually thought this of the NXT calls. Um, which I, I don't always listen to, but reading through this one, listening to this one, this was one of the best ones I thought in terms of continuing to get into the mind of Paul Levesque. Mm. And he is so off the cuff on these calls, um, that you don't ever really know which topic is going to get brought up by him and where he's going to go next on it. I have never kind of sat there and, and detailed the whole roadmap to see how many of these are burials like answers that you get the same answer every time. I, I did think that this whole section about the independent scene would add to Brandon's discussion. You know, you have this narrative you've, you've been getting created around the, the Triple H in the Indies. What is that narrative? About, what is What is your know, version of you, my narrative? I don't remember it. You just sometimes say, well, Triple H a long time ago said about the independent scene, yada, yada, yada. What did he say? I don't know. It was maybe it was about finding
1: talent. Oh, or so okay. This is my narrative, and it's not like my narrative. It's just like a reference of what he said in the, in, the, in these calls themselves. All right, here. I we know. Go. So this is another data point. Is my it, point? You're, you're correct. So <laughs> on one of the very first calls that he did like this, on the, for one of the very first takeovers, probably the first one. I don't know. Yeah, I think the first one. He said that, you know, it's almost like we prefer to, I'm paraphrasing. It's almost like we prefer to sign people who don't have indie experience because people who do have any experience, maybe they've been you know, working on the indies for like eight, 10 years or whatever. They come in here and they want to do their playbook, but we want them, you know, we, we think we have a pretty good team. We know what to do. We want them to run our playbook. And these guys who come in here, they don't want to run our playbook. It's hard to get them to do our playbook. They want to do their thing. And it's almost easier. He said to bring in people who have a clean slate or just from scratch, just teach them from scratch to run our playbook. That way they never know that stupid indie playbook. And he obviously didn't say that, but, and then, you know, we can just make them do what we want. But then this is early 2014, right. As the the network was launching, I think this is, you know, the takeover. was going to be the first live event that was streamed live in the network. And then somehow about a year later, he comes out saying, you know, yeah, I'm I'm all for these people, these, these dragons gates and these ring of honors and things. The independent undercurrent of this business is essential to what we do. His tune changed. And I think something yes. happened in late 2014, and I would speculate that maybe William Regal has something to do with it. And around the time that he signed Fergal Devitt uh, – what's his – what's, what's his what's his name? Uh, Finn Balor. Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, and Hideo Itami, Kenta, that something really changed in, in his approach and what he was willing to accept as like, who can we build here? Who will be recognized by at least this niche audience that I have here? And uh I don't know the indie style became less toxic to him.
0: I think it would be fun because we have so many of these calls that you could do one of those really fun documentaries where it'd be triple H in his own words. And you just yeah. kind of oh. cut out different things with the different years and all these things. It'd be really fun. I you know, kind of like I was thinking about like that, you know, a, a really good documentary where a lot of times they don't ever actually, like I, I saw one on the LA riots once that was like that, where there was no narrator. It was just, cobbled together from footage of people talking at the time contemporaneously about the events so, and somebody did this. i, I always think someone... that's funny you know but it's 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 in their own words Yeah, somebody, somebody did a jbl bullying article
1: like that once yes wow, it was pretty yes, good um but yeah what, what i just said i think like that's one of the key i don't know maybe because i'm in this world of like wrestling and training but i feel like that's one of the key moments in wrestling history the last several years is like Doty's talent philosophy
0: changed in a really big way up to that point i don't know if it changed though i feel like it's still i feel like this still says the same thing which is we still think it's really important that they learn our playbook and we are increasingly doubling down on the concept that we can find people from anywhere and we can train them on that playbook and the independence is not a great way to get your your culturing here he he he, but i'm not trying to insult them i think
1: that's that's kind of lip service. I think he now understands that the indies are an important place that where all these guys that he's worked with in NXT, who, who he's, he's had success and he's kind of like fathered and, and, you know, passed along to the main roster. That's sort of like, he's become invested in that independent wrestling lineage because he has to like, for him to defend these people who go on to the main roster, he has to like defend their, their entire background. And, and if that makes sense, um, but up, up to, up to 2014, Triple H was very much like John Laurinaitis.
0: Well, I'm, and what we learned here is that that's not true. What's we not learned true? that. It's said in here where he says, we have never had a height profile for people. We never had a certain type of guy we were trying to hire. People say these things about that. We've changed our style of who we're trying to hire. I don't think it's very true. That's what that's what uh, uh, Paul says in this call. Well,
1: I think he, he he's kind of referencing maybe... The, the line that oh you have to be six three and two hundred and seventy five pounds to get signed by WB or something like that. I don't know. Two did, meters and one
0: hundred kilos?
1: Something like that. But I mean decision makers can can make decisions and I don't think they have they have loose I think they've had like I think I bet, you know, that was a thing that was set at the time in like two thousand six or something and then most people fit that profile and I don't know. Yeah.
0: Yeah it's it's fascinating. It's a good call. I, I do recommend listening to it. Mm-hmm. You can find the audio a couple of different places. Go to the Figure Four website. You can check out uh, if you're a premium WrestleNomics listener. Check out our document. It has a link to the audio in there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, You've been listening to WrestleNomics Radio. We, uh, of course, do two shows a week. One show is free. One show is premium. And the premium show will be recorded tomorrow, November 18th. But uh, we're going to talk about a couple other topics about the pro wrestling landscape. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, some legal filings that came out this past week. And of course, uh, UFC seventy thirty split, and uh, maybe some other philosophy on uh, what is interesting about professional wrestling. Why pro wrestling? I think, Why? I, have,
1: I think I have something to add to that that might have uh, something to do with Freddie Mercury. We'll say that for tomorrow. Wow. What, what, what a tease. Be, what, a, what, a, what a cliffhanger.
0: Uh, talk to you all later. WrestleMonges at gmail.com. Bye bye.